great stories from amazing people. Conversations from the Marsh at Podcast Alley. This is Sports and More with Dean Millard. talk about in your story like you were, would binge on cocaine the night before and then play the next day i think there was a famous story about playing with steven stamkos how is that possible yeah and actually the story is uh the other guy that i was doing it with and we played on the line with stamkos it was mitch fadden and wow. he's not here anymore yeah wow. and true story and and the thing is is when i was telling that story to gary joyce i couldn't i didn't tell him who the other guy was because it wasn't my for me to say and right. uh you know what I mean? And, and since then, I've, I've reached out to, to Mitch's family and stuff, and it's not like when I tell the story about that being Mitch, it's like, you know, when I say it's me and Mitch, it's like, you know, we weren't the only ones doing it, so it's not like, you know, and I'm just the one here still to tell the story. I, I died overdose so many times, it's not even funny, and luckily was brought back to life over 10 times. I'm not exaggerating. Like, wow. seriously, like crazy. And uh, so, you know, it's, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It, cocaine is a, a serious problem um, in the hockey community. That is Brady Level, who is uh, the founder, one of the founders of Puck Support and a former pro hockey player. We're going to have a very frank, open, and honest discussion today. Welcome to Sports and More, episode 57 featuring Brady Liebold from the Puck Support Foundation. On this show, almost anything goes. We stay away from religion and mostly stay away from politics. But other than that, we're going to talk about a lot of things that might make you uncomfortable to hear. But we need to hear them. We need to talk about them. And we need to make sure other people feel that they are comfortable talking about addiction and recovery. So Brady's going to chat with us. Uh, a former pro who became addicted to cocaine and heroin, among other drugs, ended up living on the streets, committing crimes to pay for his habit, and ended up behind bars. He's now clean, and he's now trying to help others. So that's the discussion today, and, and it leads into our weekly tribute. Our, my weekly tribute is anyone battling addiction, you know, especially if you're winning, but just battling, just in the fight, just trying. You might think today you're losing, tomorrow you might win. You might think right now you're losing. In an hour, you might win. Listen, I'm not I'm not trying to tell you what addiction is like. I don't know. You know, I, I smoked cigarettes and I quit that and it was tough. I had to quit a long time. But, you know, heroin addiction, when, when, when doctors are prescribing you oxy for injuries and you get hooked, I don't can't imagine what that's like. I know with mental health, one hour could be different from the next. So... You know, in in both of our worlds, whether it's mental health or addiction, it's one day, one hour at a time sometimes. So I'm going to talk about that today, and that's the weekly tribute, is just anybody who's in the fight, fighting for your life, literally. Because unfortunately, as Brady just told in that story, Mitch Fadden, a guy I watched along with Brady in the WHL, no longer here. And and unfortunately, it's it's not an isolated tale when it comes to overdose. So that's a conversation we're going to have. We're also going to talk about some of his hockey days and some of the guys he played with who are now vying for the Stanley Cup. And that leads us into our top three, presented by Ultimate Franchise 
fantasy sports. Man, Duckman's domination is ripping it up in this league as far as trades. We're wheeling and dealing. We've, we're, we're tearing down and building up a foundation with young players. Hopefully it's not a decade of darkness for Duckman's domination fans like it was for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, but anyway, this league is the most realistic. Like right now, we have the Klein Cup playoffs going, our playoffs. There's an actual draft at the end of the regular season for the non-franchise teams to get involved. The non-franchise teams, the non-playoff franchises rather, they get a cut of the winnings if one of their players is drafted. There's also a scouting platform. So if you can't get one of the 31, soon to be 32 teams, you can become a scout, form your own agency, draft, list players, um, scout them, list them, and then they get auctioned off and you make the proceeds. Craig Button is actually uh, the head of high-level scouting, an agency ran by my wife in this platform. So it's a family affair. Check it out, www.uffsports.com. We have the Ultimate Fantasy Hockey League right now soon, the Ultimate Fighting Fantasy Fighting League, MMA, and then branching out to more. This is the future of fantasy sports you should be getting in at the ground floor, which is now. In this format, you own the game, so get in the game. These are digital assets that you buy, trade, sell, and they appreciate in value like the franchises. So check it out, uffsports.com. Our top three topic today is who are your top three best players remaining in the bubble? And now that... You know, depending on when you're listening to this, there could only be two teams left in the bubble. As I record this, the New York Islanders are still in the bubble. You might be listening to this and Tampa Bay's into the final. Or you might be listening to this, who knows, and the the Islanders might have uh, came back and made it to the final. But if you're listening to this and the Islanders are still in, you can include them. That's why I'm going, my honorable mention is Jordan Eberle. Uh, just because the former Oiler, I just I think he's a terrific goal scorer. Um, so my honorable mentions are always a, a little bit fun. Uh, so I actually have two. I have Eberle as as a sentimental former Oiler. If if he could somehow win a Stanley Cup in Edmonton, would be crazy funny. Uh, but my my actual honorable mention is uh, Vasilevsky, the goaltender for uh, Tampa. I, I think he's easily the best goalie left in the playoffs out of the uh, three teams. And even if you included Vegas, he would still be the best goaltender. Uh, so he's my honorable mention. Number three is Matt Barzell. 85-point rookie season. We all know in Edmonton that uh, the Oilers uh, could have had him, maybe didn't want him, should have. Uh, but this guy is, uh, is, is dynamite. You're going to hear a little bit later uh, from Brady in our conversation about uh, coaching Barzell and what he was like as a youngster. So he's so skilled. Uh, Mir Heiskanen is number two for me. Um you know, just such a smooth skating defenseman. Every one of those Dallas Stars defensemen jumps in the play so well. But Heiskanen, he's the ultimate, man. I got to watch him play live in Winnipeg this year. I was there for a couple of Jets games and sat in the press box for one, and it was just simply amazing. And and I'm going Braden Point number one. I picked him as my Conn Smythe winner before the playoffs on an episode of Sports and More. I've been impressed with this guy since he was 15 years old, wearing a cage, scoring game-winning goals in the playoffs as a... As a, he's such a youngster in the WHL, uh, he's excelled every level, and um, I think he's the most complete player left in uh, the playoffs. He might not have the the hands of Kucherov, but he's a better player, in my opinion, overall. So there you go. You can get more details at www.uffsports.com and uh, get in the game with me. 
Hit me up on Twitter at Duck Millard, or you can email me sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. Also want to tell you about Podcast Alley. That's where I have all of my shows. We'll have one-timers with Brady in a few days. The Cannabis 101 podcast will feature Green Rock Cannabis, a retail store in Alberta this week. We'll also have one-hitters. Fantasy Fun Time has moved to Thursdays. Jamie and Thomas and I, uh, we gave our notice on Mondays and uh, our for third, our Episode three of that show, yeah, will come out this Thursday as we'll look deep into the NFL playoffs, Major League Baseball, um, you know, fantasy playoffs are on right now. And uh, Tracking the Draft with Craig Button also comes out on Thursday. You can find all of that stuff and past episodes at podcastalley.ca. Brady Leavold of the Puck Support Foundation, an honest and frank conversation coming up after we find out a little bit more about Brady in the bio. Time for the bio. Brady Leavold was born in Burnaby, British Columbia, and raised in Port Coquitlam. He played junior hockey in Burnaby, Swift Current, and Kelowna before embarking on a pro career that took him through four different teams in four different leagues. It also unfortunately took him down the path of drug abuse, living on the streets, and life behind bars. He's now sober, trying to help others, and living in Muskoka, Ontario. Brady, it is awesome to uh, chat with you. Uh, I think you have a great story that we're going to get into of uh, of getting through uh, some real tough adversity and helping people on the other side. But at first, I want to talk to you about the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, you, you have a guy that you know pretty well, you played with, is now four wins away from a Stanley Cup in Jamie Benn and the Dallas Stars. What have you thought about the playoffs this year from, you know, no fans, the bubble, everything, just overall playoffs? Yeah, it's it's been interesting. And quickly, I'd be honest, this is the first year I've taken an interest in hockey in a long time, and we'll get into why. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been, you know, obviously through August and now into September, it's been it's been different, and uh, you know, no fans. But at the same time, the the guys, you could tell uh, they're playing for keeps. Uh, it's full of emotion. I love the hockey. Uh, I think the guys are playing their hearts out, and like you said. Uh, seeing Jamie Ben out there, this may be the closest that I'll ever get to a Stanley Cup if he wins. And uh, if he ends up seeing um, Tampa in the finals, which it likely uh, will be, uh, I have Luke Shen, who was also our teammate that year in Kelowna on that team. So it looks like, uh, you know, I, I'm going to know somebody from my Kelowna team is going to win this year. And if somehow the Islanders claw back, Guess what? I coached Matthew Barzell when he was like twelve and thirteen, and he trained with me for a summer. So, you know, I got I got the uh, I got it covered. If I'm, I'm a winner already, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's awesome stuff. What do you think it's like for these guys uh, in the bubble? I mean, you know, there's there's other teams that are there, not as many as before. But what do you think that whole bubble process was like for these guys? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's definitely trying. Um, you know, we'll get into my story, but I know what it's like to be in a bubble, kind of, uh, but not getting to play hockey. Um, but, hey, 
they're doing it and they know uh, why they're there and they're pros. So that's, you know what I mean? That's why you're seeing the great hockey that we're seeing. And uh, it's just a testament to their level of commitment, no matter, you know, when they get the call, they get the chance to play for the Stanley Cup, they're going to bring it. I think it's just so strange that you you battle out against a guy and then you might be standing in the Tim Hortons line or sitting out in the patio and he's five feet away. I mean, normally you're not staying in the same hotel after. And, you know, most people can kind of let the emotions uh, die down after a game. But, you know, something sometimes things are heated in the playoffs. And it's impressive that we haven't heard of any, like, hallway scuffles or anything with these guys. But they are professionals, right? And And you do kind of park it after especially in the playoffs right like you got to park things quickly in the playoffs and move on to the next game yeah you, you would think and, and you would hope but you know i i would strongly believe that because they're under such tight wraps that even if something did happen we probably wouldn't hear about it because there's not a whole lot of media there this would be the one time that they could get away with stuff they're probably having a lot of fun um maybe not so much now they probably dialed in now, like they're, you know, getting close to, to the Stanley Cup and obviously Tampa's getting close to wrapping it up. So, you know, but listen, there are probably a lot of pranks uh, being played and, and different things all in good fun. And uh, I'm sure the guys enjoy spending time with other guys on, on other teams because you have to remember that the hockey community is very small. And, uh, you know, a lot of these guys will know, um, you know, one or two guys on every team. Uh, if not more. And uh, just like you heard me say, I've been removed from hockey and never played in the NHL like these guys did for, I've been removed from hockey for over a decade. And I just told you that, you know, I know these guys that are playing. So you have to think that these guys are probably enjoying the time uh, that they get to spend with the guys. Uh, However, I'm sure uh, they're counting down uh, the days uh, and they have it marked on their calendar. Uh, win or lose when the bubble will be closing and they get to see their families again. That's no doubt. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, It's been interesting watching it without fans, especially in the early going when they didn't have all the music dialed in just yet and you could hear a lot of the discussions going on in in the ice. (laughs) I I think that would be weird for the players to be able to hear so much going on on the ice that usually gets blocked out by noise. Yeah, and it's... You know, I think the coaches are probably hearing a lot more too. And you're, the players are not getting away with uh, as much. And, you know, the players that wear their heart on their sleeves a little bit more and stuff, it, it you know, it typically stands out. Uh, but it really, it really stands out now. And like you said, um, they didn't have it dialed in. But whoever is responsible uh, for the music and all of that, I'm sure there's a team. Um, they've done a great job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really have. Like, it's been, I, I thought it was going to bother me more not having fans. I actually appreciate nobody's banging on the glass or standing up as the camera pans to wave at whoever's watching at home. So I'm, I'm actually uh, kind of glad uh, about that as far as uh, no fans. All right, just quickly, what's your Stanley Cup prediction? Uh, what happens when everything is all said and done? I like Dallas in game seven. I think it's going to take... I think it's going to take seven uh, for some reason, but uh, there is a chance to, um, I, I really like Dallas for some reason. I said, listen, no disrespect to Tampa. Um, that was a system that I was in um, for a short time. Uh, and there's a couple of guys there that were there when I was there, Sam Coast and Killorn. Um, but other than that, I don't really know anybody other than Shen. Uh, but 
they're just not built uh, the same way that the stars are built. Uh, they're big. Um, they can skate too. And um, I don't know. Um, I just, I, I like the, the stars jam. Uh, you've seen them come back and not quit um, multiple times. Um, their goalie is playing great, Anton Hudobin. And um, I just feel that Tampa hasn't been tested physically uh, the way that uh, that Dallas is going to bring it. Because I know uh, if you've been watching Jamie and I, like I know him, uh, we haven't talked in a few years and stuff. Uh, but, you know, I know how he plays and uh, he's only getting better. Uh, and uh, if you watched him play in the Memorial Cup, uh, and in the world juniors and, and in the Olympics, um, you better believe that, uh, come game one, he's going to bring it. He's going to be, uh, the best, uh, one of the best, if not the best players on the ice. And he knows he has to be right. So, um, I like Dallas in seven. All right. So you said you haven't paid a, a ton of attention to hockey. Uh, this is the first time uh, in, in a while and that's great. And I know, uh, you know, just skating and getting out has, uh, has really helped you and we're getting into that. But finally, I want to ask you one more thing about the game and, and who is it that makes you tune in and watch today? Like when you do watch who you're really impressed by. Matthew Barzell, no question. Uh, you heard me say it already. Like, yeah, uh, I coached him and I've shared the story of how I met him a, a Many of times, uh, I won't get into it now, but it's pretty neat. And, uh, you know, he was to keep up to me when I was 24 and he was like 13. And uh, what he's doing on the ice is incredible. Uh, yeah, of course, we have Connor McDavid and what he does is insane. He's explosive. He is like the modern day Pavel Bure. Well, everybody else can skate like Pavel Bure, you know what I mean? But he is like explosive beyond. And everybody <laughs> nowadays can skate like Pavel Bure could back then he is that much quicker than, uh, than the next guy. Uh, but in my opinion, uh, Barzell plays a more complete game. Uh, and uh, he, the way he controls the puck, if, if you really watch, um, it just seems like he's two or three plays ahead of everybody, and he's always been that way. And uh, it really doesn't surprise me. So uh, without question, Matthew Barzell and, of course, uh, you know, <laughs> McDavid. But I will say quickly, uh, Quinn Hughes in mm -hmm. Vancouver. Uh, is ultra, ultra impressive as well. And quickly, shout out to Tyson Berry. He had a tough year, uh, but I played with him in Kelowna too. Uh, and he he was so good. And I hope that uh, he, he finds his uh, his way next year. And it sounds like he might end up back in Colorado, which would be good for him. Yeah, no doubt. The amount of great skating defensemen. I mean, you look at that Dallas Stars team. Every defenseman on their team seems to be jumping into the play. So it's really exciting uh, for the for the league, and you were a guy that was you know hard to play against. That people knew when you were on the ice. Uh, I think you finished second in scoring in Kelowna. You spent some time in Swift Current. What's your favorite on ice memory from your playing days? Uh, favorite on ice memory from my playing days is uh, Colin Long's one hundred point uh, my twenty year old season. So. Yeah, um, it was in the last game of the season and, you know, with a few minutes to go and we worked really hard to get it and you needed three points, I think, to get to 100 and me, him and Jamie Ben all ended up, I think, with three points in the final game and we ended up, you know, getting them that, that final 100th point. Uh, I think I scored with uh, two minutes to go, which was really cool. So, you know, I never won any championships, uh, but that to me was, uh, was just as good. So we wanted to have you on uh, and talk about uh, the the Puck Support Foundation. 
And and this is something that you're doing, and we're going to get into uh, a lot of it as we go, pucksupport.com, where you're reaching out and you're helping uh, uh, former players uh, that have maybe, you know, fallen off the track. And, and, and that's something that unfortunately happened for you. So when you look back at it, you're playing hockey, you played some junior in, uh, in the BCHL, you played in Swift Current, you played in Kelowna, uh, you played some pro. When, when you look back now, when do you start seeing things going down the wrong path and, and how does that happen? Well, I mean, you, you got to go way back. And if anyone knows my story, if you look into it, it's, uh, you know, I'm pretty open about it. I, you know, suffered from sexual abuse at a young age that I wasn't, you know, very open about. And uh, so that was always a factor. And, you know, getting into teenage years, uh, drinking pretty early, but hockey always kept me uh, in line because it was like, well, I can't do that because I'm a hockey player. I can't do that because I'm a hockey player. But, um, you know, as I got a little bit older, uh, close to my 18th birthday, started to experiment a little bit more and it, uh, the experiment didn't last very long. The experiment turned into a, uh, a full bore, um, you know, I don't know. It just took over everything very quickly. And, uh, you know, then I was able to rein it back in and, and finish my junior career off strong and, uh, but never, uh, dealt with the mental health issues that were going on with me and uh shortly there into my pro career i got injured and and started in with the pain medication and that is uh is a whole nother ball game for anybody that knows anything about opiates uh i sure didn't uh i thought you know i i knew i saw stuff i'd heard stuff about the physical addiction and all of that but for whatever reason i thought it was never going to happen to me and i just didn't really fully understand what it entailed and uh before I knew it, I found myself pretty severely addicted and, and not playing hockey. And um, one thing led to another, and uh, the, the pain pills turned to heroin and, and everything else. And, and shortly thereafter, um, you know, you find yourself, you know, doing uh, things that you would never, never, ever do in a million years if it wasn't for addiction, hanging out with people in places and um, found myself homeless on, on the downtown east side of Vancouver on Hastings for eight months. Uh, before I was rescued, uh, essentially, uh, but I say I was actually arrested, um, and sent to jail for almost two years. Um, but yeah, it's, it was hard. So there's, there's a number of things that, and layers that go into that. And if anybody wants to know more about it, there's, there's lots on my story. There's been articles in Sportsnet and the hockey news and of course my podcast, but, um, you know, my story is just one very small aspect of it. and. Uh, I thought I was alone. I thought, Hey, you know, I'm just a fall down. I'm a, I'm a cast off. There's, there's no other guy like me out there that, you know, played a, played at a high level of hockey and, and is struggling. And, and boy, was I wrong. Um, I was able to, to dig myself out of hell and, and I moved to Ontario and, and ended up in jail again, uh, for almost a year. <laughs> So it wasn't like an always an easy road. And uh, I got out in just this past November and I've been clean now, say seven months, close to, I'm not keeping track because the last 10 years I've been clean and relapsed and clean and relapsed and done this and done that. And I uh, kept a track on the calendar and all this. And um, I just take it one day at a time now and just do what I need to do throughout the day. Um, and, and my recovery is a lot different now than it would have been, say, even 
five years ago, I just look at recovery differently. Um, I just look at life a little bit differently, but, and we can get into that. Um, because when I say I'm clean, I'm, I, I use cannabis all day, pretty much every day. Um, again, I'm learning to use it with intention and, and in the right setting. And, um, it's, I've come a long way with that and we can get into that later, but, um, that to me is like, it's not, it's not a crutch. It's that's, and I use it for pain management too, because I have a lot of injuries and a lot of, um, you know, things, post concussion syndrome and, and just different things that I'm dealing with, uh, from a day to day basis. Um, but I will say quickly, uh, that my, like I said, my story is just one very small part of it. And, you know, it wasn't until uh, I heard the story of a guy by the name of Matthew Lazinski who uh, played in the OHL, not in the WHL, but the OHL, which is the equivalent out here in Ontario uh, for Sault Ste. Marie. And he was the same age as myself. And I never met him, but you know, he's a high draft pick of them, second round pick in the Bantam draft and or midget draft, whatever the hell they do out here. Uh, it's so ass backwards in Ontario, the hockey program. I don't even get me started on uh, the hockey. I don't even, I can't keep up all the leagues and all the different stuff. But, um, uh, so anyways, he had some issues, um, you know, like myself and I'm not saying like the sexual abuse, but just, you know, mental health and addiction issues and, um, ended up in jail and, and the same kind of story. But unfortunately, Matthew was in, he overdosed and died in 2017. And, you know, I heard the story and we kind of changed the, every, how I was doing everything. Yeah. I was two episodes into the, or one or two episodes into the podcast when I heard that story and I'm now 52 episodes in and, and now it's changed everything because, you know, this guy by the name of Matt Thompson shared the story of Matthew Nizinski with me because they were best friends. He heard me talking, he's like, you guys, the story is the same, like, that you're alive and he's not. And, uh, you know, so as I quickly say, as you know, I started doing it, me and Matt have really connected. We've become best friends and we've been able to connect with Matthew Nizinski's family. Um, and you know, they're very supportive with the Puck Sport Foundation and all we're doing. And, uh, you know, but what else that, what I've found out too, is that actually my line mate and the guy that I lived with, um, my first year in the American, my first year pro when I was in the American Hockey League for like three and a half, four months, um, Mitch Fadden, who was a WHL alumni as well. He passed away from an overdose as well. And I was actually trying to reach out to him to tell him, Hey, I'm doing better. I'm doing this. Like we were friends and, uh, and actually like messaged me and was like, Hey, you need to call me. And I didn't even know who this person was at the time. Um, since then we've become friends. He's actually become my life coach, Justin, Just, Justin Bryan, I'll say, but he's like, man, maybe you should sit down. And he's like, Mitch has passed away too. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Um, and then from there I've heard so many others, um, and suicide and overdose. And I was like, man, this is, this is crazy. Something needs to be done. It's great that, you know, we hear about the NHL players that, you know, have, have passed away and, and it's very tragic. And I knew Rippin and I played with Aaron Bugard, uh, Derek Bugard's younger brother. So like, you know, I, it's, they're, they're the ones that we hear about, but there are so many more that we don't know about. Uh, and when you play in the NHL, you get, you know, for whatever you have to play a certain number of games, you get that support. Um, but very few make it to the NHL when so many are trying. So where does the support lie for the ones that don't make it? Even the guys in the minors, like there's no support and it's so cutthroat 
and and we throw our lives in, and our identities into this. And when it's taken, um, man, it it is a such a common story. Most it's actually most guys are struggling um, with with one form of uh, mental health or addiction, um, and it's really sad. It, it totally is. And, and, you know, no matter how much light we shed on mental health and addiction, it doesn't seem to be enough. There are still people that, um, you know, ha- have a, a, a stigma towards it. Even people that, that suffer from it have that stigma and they're scared. So we do have to continue to shine the light on that. Now, I, I don't want this to sound weird, but cocaine seems to me and sounds to me like a a hockey drug. Like I, I'm not saying the whole hockey world does cocaine, but I hear about cocaine and hockey players a lot, or at least I did anyway. And, 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 and you talk about in your story, like you would binge on cocaine the night before and then play the next day. I think there was a famous story about playing with Steven Stamkos. How is that possible? Yeah, and actually the story is uh, the other guy that I was doing it with and we played on the line with Stamkos was Mitch Fadden, and wow. he's not here anymore. Yeah, wow. true story. And and the thing is, is when I was telling that story to Garrett Joyce, I couldn't, I didn't tell him who the other guy was because it wasn't my for me to say. And right. uh, you know what I mean? And, and since then, I've, I've reached out to, to Mitch's family and stuff, and it's not like when I tell the story about that being Mitch, it's like, you know, when I say it's me and Mitch, it's like, you know, we weren't the only ones doing it. So it's not like, you know, and I'm just the one here still to tell the story. I, I got overdosed so many times. It's not even funny. And luckily was brought back to life over 10 times. I'm not exaggerating. Like, wow. seriously, like crazy. And uh, so, you know, it's, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's cocaine is a, a serious problem. Um, in the hockey community, you heard uh, guy, like guys like Eric Guest um, come out and say he was, I don't know if you heard that story, yes. he played for the Kitchener Rangers, and um, I've since befriended him and, and I've talked to him, and, uh, you know, that's a, that's a really hard thing to, to go through. And okay, He was forced um, to do cocaine yeah. in a bathroom at a, at a hockey party, as he alleges. Yeah. That's, that's right. That's yeah, awful. Well, well, playing, well playing in the OHL. Yeah. And uh, the thing is, is... Um, I don't doubt it for one second. Um, uh, you know, did I ever see that particular thing happen? No. Did I see other things happen? Like, okay, rookies, you got to drink this shot of 151 mixed with tequila, mixed with Jack Daniels. Plus it's mixed with the world's hottest hot sauce that was just ordered off the internet. And you got to take like five shots of that. And then, you know, come out and, and dance around naked and embarrassed drunk in front of all the girls and, and everything else or in the G string or whatever. It's, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. So it's, you know, where's the line? Like, you know, forcing them to drink that and, and to do a line of code. There's no difference in it's my dangerous. mind. It's dangerous. Um, it's very dangerous. And uh, so, you know, I'm not going to say any, go and say any names or, or different podcasts, but there's certain individuals out there um, and certain different podcasts out there that, in my opinion, uh, just glorify uh, the party lifestyle as a hockey player. And uh, I think it's extremely dangerous. Um, so, um, you know, uh, where what are we teaching the kids? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, what message are we trying to promote? And people often ask me the message that I'm promoting. Um, because I talk about using cannabis and, and stuff like that, but 
Um, it's for totally different reasons um, than, you know, say, promoting alcohol. You'll never see me. A sponsor could offer me a billion dollars to promote alcohol and I wouldn't do it because I just don't feel it's helpful, right? So, um, yeah, I just think that there's a certain line that, uh, you know, I feel that as, now that I'm getting older and, and looking at the younger generation coming up, I feel it's my job, though I didn't have like a long pro career by any means but you know i played major junior and i played american league and um i've been around uh the hockey community and i've been around some pretty other crazy parts too like jail and homelessness and everything and uh um there's a driving force in, in me that wants to make the hockey community better uh not only for the next generation but for the, the current and former generations that are struggling right now and um i just think that there's people out there that could do a better job collectively uh, to promote a better message than, than what's being promoted um, with the platform they have. And that's all I'll say. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's dangerous. I think, uh, you know, it's a pretty common thread, uh, the drinking and the hazing and the stuff. I don't know about the, the locking in the bathroom of doing Coke in junior. Um, but I know that it was definitely around. I know I did Coke and stuff when I was playing in the BC Hockey League. Um, and uh, when I was home at Christmas as well, playing in the WHL, but never did it in season. Well, like, while well, I was at, well, I guess I did it in season because I was home at Christmas. But you know what I mean? Like, in the town that I was playing or whatever. So, um, but certainly did it in the BC Hockey League and then did it uh, at the Tampa Bay Lightning's Prospects Camp. It did it in the American Hockey League. did it in the East Coast Hockey League. Um, so, um, you know, definitely... It's definitely prominent. You're you're not wrong when you say cocaine is a problem, but uh, the pain pills are a problem too. Yeah, you hear it all the time. You hear it all the time. Yeah, that, that seems um, to be becoming would, a bigger problem than than actually the cocaine. Yeah, it it sure is. Uh, guys, guys are you know they're pretty easy to get, and if guys get red flagged, even if the team is like, okay, well we're not giving that guy as well. You guys will go to another guy and be like, hey, well, can you say, can you go get right. them? Because they know that that guy doesn't have a problem or whatever. And I mean, that's how, that's how it starts. And uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot more guys that are struggling right now, currently in the NHL that are gone in, in and out of, you know, the, the, the doors of treatment centers in this last season than people would probably even realize. Um, and I'm sure there's a few in there right now. Um, and, there's so many. The thing is, though, I really look outside the NHL um, because that's where the problem lies. There's just no support. Um, and I feel that we can educate our kids better, uh, especially coming up through minor hockey and into junior, uh, just educating them about uh, different things that they're going to face through life, like, you know, managing money and being a good person, uh, you know, not just focusing so much on the hockey aspect, you know what I mean? Uh, finding value in other things and, and finding, um, you know, your identity in other things other than just being a hockey player, because when that's over, um, it can be very hard to find an identity in something else. So I think just trying to bridge that gap and just encourage guys to just continually get educated and try new things and to do, uh, you know, just stay involved in the community. And just uh, I don't know, I just feel like I wasted a lot of time when I was playing major junior hockey, like 
you know, going from the rink and then going to sitting around playing video games and doing whatever, like could have been involved doing things with our time, just even if it was an hour or two extra a day or a week. Um, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, getting, you know, post-secondary or whatever, any of those things, uh, just, there's so much time there, um, that I feel was wasted, um, that we could be using. And, and that's where I feel things like the Fox Sport Foundation can come in. But it's not just, I really just want to say too, like it's not just for players. Um, you know, it's for coaches and parents and um, the hockey, the whole hockey community. Uh, and it's very new. Um, we're in the stages of just getting incorporated and all of that. And we need, we need help. We need support. And uh, we want people to get involved that want to change, make change in the hockey community. The door is wide open. We're very transparent. Um, it is not about me. I'm just, again, small piece. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm on the board. I'm going to be on the board of directors, but by no means am I in charge of the financials or any of that stuff. Like we're doing everything the right way. And the way that I see it, like I want to be in the trenches helping people. Like I want to be on the front lines. Uh, in the thick of things, uh, because that's where I, I just, that's what I want to do. I, I want to help people. And I feel that there's so many people that need help. Um, and certainly not just in the hockey community, but where I can make the biggest impact I feel right now is in the hockey community, uh, in the mental health and addiction aspect. And, uh, there's just nothing else like it. And, you know, we have a big uphill battle ahead of us and a lot of things that we're doing. Uh, are going to be essentially revolutionary. And a lot of people are going to be like, mm, I don't know about that. Um, but all I just ask is that people uh, just be patient um, and, and just be open-minded because, um, you know, yeah, I talk about cannabis and, and, and this sort of stuff, um, but not just, you know, cannabis, uh, talking about hemp and, and, and just plants and just, learning how to live a healthy life and all of it. And I think, you know, incorporating that into our training with hockey, like there's a guy, a friend of mine, Riley Cote, who has played in the NHL and played in the WHL. And what he is doing down in Pennsylvania is, is incredible. And that is my, you know, I look to him for, for guidance and inspiration because what he's been doing it for, for the last 10 years through uh, the Hemp Heels Foundation and Hemp Heels Hockey. And it's really, um, amazing. And what he's doing is, you know, teaching hockey schools with a component of educating around, um, hemp and cannabis and, uh, you know, telling the kids like, okay, like, you know, if you're going to be a hockey player, you know, you may get injured and these are going to be things that are suggested to you and pain meds that may be suggested to you. And these could be the consequences. And here, these are some other options that may be available to you. It's never about telling them what to do. It's just about encouraging people what to get educated. Um, and I think it's very important. And I think with the way that people have looked at things like hemp and cannabis as being like an outlawed, uh, essentially an outlawed drug, uh, which is just a bad image. And it's terrible because it's just not the case. Uh, when used right, uh, people really need to open their eyes because I know that when I got hurt, and a doctor gave, prescribed me an Oxycontin, I didn't think twice. Mm -hmm. Okay, the doctor has given it to me, must be okay. Like, you know, I knew that it was severely addictive because I knew people that were on it, but 
hell, the doctor's giving it to me. I'm a hockey player. I'm a hockey doctor. It must not be bad. Like, so I can only imagine how many people inside and outside of the hockey community have gone through the same thing. Uh, even construction workers blowing their shoulder out or whatever. Um, and we go to the doctor and okay, we write, they write us a script and we take it and we take them and that's it. And that's okay. But then, okay, we want to uh, eat uh, a THC gummy and people want to ridicule us for that. That's crazy to me. Like, if my kid at 13 years old breaks his arm and needs something for pain, I would much rather give him like a, a, a pot cookie than like a, a Percocet. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Like, like if people look at it that way, like honestly, the pharmaceuticals are a lot more dangerous, a lot more dangerous. And people don't even think about that. That to me is the problem or, or a huge problem anyway. Yeah. Well, that's why, you know, we do the Cannabis 101 podcast and and Riley was actually a past guest on that show. And our tagline is it's not just about getting high. It's about getting healthy. It is a plant. It's not a drug. Um, you can, you, there's, there's so many different cannabinoids that we're just learning about. A lot of people know about CBD, which is, you know, a lot of, uh, where, where hemp is, uh, created for. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things you can use the cannabis plant with and not get high and, and have the psychoactive effects of THC. So there's that's so much, right. there's so much to, to learn about the cannabis plant. And that's where I kind of wanted to, to go next and, you know, how cannabis, and, and that's the thing, cannabis has been shown to really help with addiction in a lot of cases, severe addiction cannabis has been used. So I wanted to kind of ask you, you know, how cannabis plays a role in your, you know, sobriety and, and, and working through this. And also, you know, I read in the, in, in the Gare Joyce piece about, you know, just getting back and playing some hockey, uh, even just skating out on the pond, you know, these things that, you know, f- f- I, I have triggers with my mental health issues and I know other people do have triggers and other people have triggers for addiction. And it sounds like you are managing those triggers better now than than obviously in the past how is that working for you oh man i can't even tell you so like you know there was different times in the past where you know i checked myself into rehab and you know did the 12-step program um and did it well for you know close to a year a couple times and was completely uh, clean and sober and doing meetings, which I'm, I'm not bashing. I think what some of the things they do are great. Um, but one of the things that they, they don't like is, you know, the use of, of cannabis and that sort of stuff and whatever. So, you know, I wasn't using it. And, uh, now, uh, with my recovery, I didn't go to rehab. I will say this time, but obviously I've learned so many tools, um, with the amount of times I've been and, detoxes and everything. So, I, you know, I have those in my tool belt. Um, it's not like I, you know, never went to rehab. So I'm not saying that people don't need to go to rehab. I still think it's a good idea to just get a break. Um, I don't think it's the end all cure all whatever. I think there's a lot more to it. Um, but, uh, you know, excuse me. Um, you know, cannabis has saved my life. Like I don't, um, you know, so it, I put it this way, like, you know, I'm an addict and, uh, I wish that I could cut back my cannabis use a little bit. And I have, and that's been a big thing is just, you know, becoming more mindful and just, you know, using it properly. And that doesn't just 
come with focusing on cannabis. That just comes on just wanting to become a better person, a healthier person and all of this. So that's why I'm thinking this way now. It's not more about like, I think cannabis is that and I need less of it. It's just that, okay, well, you know, I just want to, you know, use it a little bit more intentionally and, and be a little more mindful and a little more present sometimes. And, you know, just instead of just doing things reactionarily, like wake up and hit my bong, well, you know, just feel things a little bit more or whatever. But I will say um, that that beats the alternative because there was a time, and I say this candidly and openly, that I would literally wake up um, and stick a needle in my arm. And for the last, you know, that was my life for the last, since I was 24, uh, I'm 33 now, just August 21st. Um, and like I said, I've had a little bit of sobriety here and there, different times in the jail. Uh, but pretty much, uh, since I was 24 to 33, uh, I was an IV drug user. And, um, so I don't have a problem, uh, waking up every day, um, and using cannabis. I think it's been great and, um, uh, it makes, it calms me down. Uh, I have a severe anger problem, which I, I, which is pretty much gone, uh, when I, when I use it. Um, and you know, I, like I said earlier, I deal with a lot of pain, arthritis in my hip and my wrist. And, um, it's just, I don't need to use anything else, um, to manage those things. And what people don't know, a lot of people, I should say, not everyone, but most people, I, I know I didn't for a long time. Um, I didn't know that opiates like heroin and morphine and Percocet and Oxys and those types of things, um, we all know that they're painkillers, like physical painkillers. But I didn't know that, you know, I didn't clue in that it's an emotional painkiller. Mm-hmm. Of course it is. So it's, it hits your receptors and it's just like, that's why, you know, um, for certain people, opiates, um, it does, it hits your same receptors. It's like love. And like, so when you see like a little cute baby and you get that feeling like that's sort of the same receptors that opiates hit. So kids that, you know, like were, you know, didn't get that love from their parents or different things like that have happened are more prone uh, to like things like opiates. And if you look at the patterns and there's different doctors that have done studies and I just know again from learning this through rehab and different things I've read, um, there's reasons why that, you know, opiates triggered my addiction more so than say stimulants, even though I went through cocaine addiction and all that too. But it's eventually once I got to, you know, things like heroin, it was like, that was like my main thing. And if I needed, it was like, I would just do other things just because I wanted to be more in oblivion. Right. Cause I just didn't care. So people don't know um, that it's the emotional painkiller. Um, so you know, that was a big thing, like stopping uh, opiates. It was like, you have to feel again. Um, and what I found with using cannabis is that I'm actually, feel, I feel more. And it's like, you know, I'm, I, I just notice things more and I appreciate things more. Um, and it's not just like, okay, I use cannabis and that happens. Um, it, it certainly helps, but there's other things that go in with that. And I think, you know, like, know, going out and being in nature and things like that and just appreciating your life. But I definitely, you know, cannabis has saved my life because, um, you know, I'm still at the point where I feel maybe I need to use something like, you know, I need something. So like I, I also microdose mushrooms and 
um, instead of, you know, say any, an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's my choice. And people will be like, well, that's crazy. But again, get educated. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and, uh, that's just what I do. Um, sorry for myself. Um, and it works. And again, I, I be careful with what I tell people to do. Uh, I never tell people what to do. I just, I just ask them to get educated and, and, uh, suggest things that have worked for me, but what works for me will not work for everybody. And that's the important thing people have to learn that there is no, you know, you can't just look to one person and be like, okay, I'm going to be like that person. I'm going to do what that person is doing. Like in my experience, like I have to do a lot of work and just, you know, we take little things from each little scenario, but like until we're ready to look at ourselves, like until I really wanted to look at myself and call myself on my own shit, excuse my language, mm-hmm. but my own stuff and, and really look at it. There's not much, there's not much that was going to change. Um, but oh, I will say quickly too, that, you know, there was a time, like I said, when I was going through recovery where it's like, I got to do nothing. I can't do anything because I'm an addict and I can't smoke weed. I can't drink. I can't because I'm an addict and it's going to lead me down the road. And that's what they were telling me. And so, um, you know, I just was like, no, I can't smoke weed, I can't whatever. It was like, okay, I was like constantly relapsed, right? But over this, again, I've only been clean seven months and there's a ton of other things that I'm doing, counseling and like my podcast and the foundation and friendships and everything that I'm doing that I've never done before. That's a huge contributor. Uh, but again, uh, I'm uh, using cannabis um, for things like emotional pain, and like physical pain. And I don't have to commit crimes to get my cannabis like I did to have to get heroin and to do all that things. And so, like I said, uh, the long, the short answer to your question is it saved my life. Well, and, and that's the thing is there's, I think, you know, we're two years into almost legalization, right? So we're coming up on another anniversary here. And I think as time goes on, I hope, and I think that, uh, you know, people will start looking at, okay, instead of taking this pill, I'm going to take this. I don't have to smoke it. I can eat it. I can drink it. Uh, I can take a topical and rub it on my pain where my knee is. Let's hope that pharmaceutical dependency comes down. I mean, for me, I can, and, and you're right, everybody is different. But for me, I wean myself off my pharmaceutical mental health prescription and, and I use CBD, I use some St. John's Ward, I use a bunch of natural things and it worked for me. It's not gonna work for everybody, but it can work for people. I, would, I was a zombie on, on my mental health pills for depression, anxiety, and PTSD. I'm not that anymore. I actually feel like uh, I'm functioning. And, and I think one thing that I can kind of tell from what you're talking about that's really helped is the Hockey to Heroin podcast that, that you do. And, you know, I, I, I've, I've don't, haven't had experience with, with addiction, but one thing I pe- do hear is that, you know, you do burn a lot of bridges and then you try to mend them after. Is that podcast helping you do that? Oh my God. I didn't know what to expect. And you met, I didn't answer this question in your last question about, you know, getting back on the ice and, uh, you know, I, Essentially, I was pretty fresh out of jail and, and didn't have a whole lot of the options in front of me and um, had no hockey equipment or anything. And uh, I had a pair of skates from the Swift Grand Broncos that sent them to me when I got out of jail, which was really nice. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, just to get back on the ice and, um, you know, like my custom skates, like brand new Bowers with my custom tongue, it was really nice. And um, so, you know, 
I didn't know what to do. And I live on a lake up here in Muskoka and it was late March and it was, the ice was about to melt. And I, I just decided to go on the ice again after not skating for like eight years. And, uh, I was like, wow, I got to do something with hockey. And, and shortly thereafter, I launched the podcast. But yeah, like, you know, I burned so many bridges and many of those I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to mend, um, unfortunately. But, you know, I'll continue to try. Um, however, uh, I've met like so many. Uh, yeah, I've been able to mend a lot of relationships. Um, and the podcast is, is in that vehicle. Um, and it's also been able to um, you know, bringing new relationships, like, you know, you like your, your new friendship and, and, you know, guys like Darren McCarty, who I looked up to as a kid is one of my good friends now. And, you know, I've had, I've been very lucky with who I've had on my podcast as far as guests. I've had, you know, like Theo Fleury and Sheldon Kennedy and uh, Doug Gilmore and Doug McLean. And I mean, I've been very lucky and uh, I've also had a couple of my friends on there, which has been cool too. And, and your dad. Uh, guys that I didn't talk to. And my dad was recently, which was great. And, and that to me uh, was, was probably the coolest thing about all this so far is that my relationship with my dad has really turned the corner. And, um, you know, you, you know, from experience, like every time you get on a podcast or it, it's, uh, it's pretty much like a mini meeting. Like, you know, for me, um, it, it's very therapeutic, you know, and uh, I get to talk and, uh, sometimes the podcast is about me and sometimes it's not. Uh, and the times when it's not, uh, it's usually the times when it's more therapeutic actually. And, uh, you know, learning to listen and, uh, communicate and, uh, it's been, it's been great because, you know, I, I had, a, I didn't really lit, I listened, but learning to listen a lot more now. And it's, it's been extremely helpful like outside the studio as well. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if it's just growing up, um, but it's hard to explain. And but the podcast, yeah, it's been, it's been incredible um, as well as getting back on the ice, which, which too, I've actually um, fully coming out of retirement to play senior men's this year um, in the Northern Ontario Senior Hockey League with the Maxwell Mustangs. Uh, so that's kind of cool. I'm actually heading up there tomorrow, no, Thursday. Uh, whatever day it is uh, for the weekend to get on the ice a couple times. The season starts here in a couple months, so gotta get my butt back in shape. <laughs> I love it. Uh, that is so awesome. And so that leads us to the Puck Support Foundation. You can find it at www.pucksupport.com. Uh, I know you guys were involved in uh, trying to help Joe Murphy out, who has been in the news uh, a few different times, but. You know, what, what sort of, when, when you talk about puck support, you know, how can people get involved if they need help uh, or if they want to help? Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, sort of the things you guys are trying to accomplish with this. Yeah, if you don't mind, I'll just, uh, I'll just quickly play something, quickly play something for everybody and it, it'll kind of just explain what we do and, and our vision. Even though every child who plays hockey dreams of one day making the NHL, winning a Stanley Cup and making millions of dollars, the fact is that very few of them do. Some end up with serious mental health and addiction issues, often long after the cheering stops and their safety net has vanished. The Puck Support Foundation is a nonprofit charity that is committed to providing relief for any player or coach, active or retired, who is struggling with these issues. We try to do that by providing a safe platform for hockey players to receive the help they need. 
confidentially and without fear of judgment. We intend to do that by working with mental health and addiction professionals to find and provide our brothers and sisters with the best prevention and treatment methods and by providing a toll-free line that can be used by anyone, anytime, anywhere. So that's, uh, that's kind of our, our mission statement. I wrote it and it was revised by senior writer at the Hockey News, Ken Campbell. Um, shout out to him. So that was great that, that he was able to do that. And uh, yeah, so we're currently uh, working on getting it off the ground. Like you said, com is there. There's not really much to the website. We're currently, you know, sourcing out the proper resources for people. Um, we're working on getting the 1-800 line set up um, with the proper number. Uh, I want to make sure that it's easy for people to remember and, you know, something to do with like talking it. And it's been a little more difficult to get the actual number that, that I'm seeing in my mind. Uh, that's gone through a couple of different companies, but uh, we're getting there and, uh, you know, really looking forward um, to getting it off the ground and, and helping people. And like you said, uh, we've already um, helped people. Uh, I help people every day. Um, and, and so do guys like Ashley Langdon, um, and like you mentioned earlier too, Joe Murphy, I was able to connect with him and I wish there would have been able to, I was able to do more for him, but, uh, hopefully I'll get a chance down the road. But, uh, to be honest, where we're at, uh, for people listening, uh, we need people to, to get, get involved. And we also need, uh, financial contributions right now. We have something called the Bucks for foundation gratitude for state going on, which is in memory of Matthew Lazinski, which is kind of a social media campaign of, um, you know, if you're nominated, make a video of just, you know, listing the things you're grateful for and the people you're grateful for three people. And then they're nominated to do the same thing. And if you don't do, you got to pay money to the Fox Sports foundation. But, um, if anybody wants to donate, there is a GoFundMe page, uh, which I was very reluctant to do at first. And there's different reasons why. Um, but, uh, I was left with no choice. We were left with no choice. Um, because as I started, you know, you know, doing these things and originally it was like me and Matt Thompson and, you know, I just had this vision of doing it. It was like, wow. And every day I can't tell you how many messages I get of people that are struggling with parents that the kids are struggling in the hockey community or whatever. Like it's, it's, it's mind blowing. It's try like it, it breaks my heart every single day. And I'm not just saying this, like, uh, and it, I don't have enough time in the day. I don't have the money. Like I am broke myself. Um, but like, if I could do it, I would just pull the money out of my bank account and fund this whole thing, pay the lawyers, the incorporation fees and all of it. And like, you could do it, but it's a long drawn out process. And there's so many steps and different layers, trademarks and all this stuff. And it's just, I don't have any experience with it, but like we are, we do have people that are, on board that, you know, I've set up foundations and there are great people that we have on board and things are slowly but surely coming together. Uh, however, you know, we're at like $2,000 on the GoFundMe page. The goal is like 25,000, which may seem like a lot. Um, and I don't think we need 25,000 to get this thing off the ground, but it would sure be nice to have 25,000 as like a little relief fund, but we're going to need 25 million to really make a difference in the long run. Like, and we'll get there through, government grants and things like that, uh, larger donors. Uh, but to get to that point, uh, we really need uh, the support of, of everybody else right now through small contributions like $5 contributions or, you know, if you can afford more. But I pose the question to people like this, like, 
can you afford $5? Can you afford a $5 donation? Can you not go to Tim Hortons today? Or can you not go to Starbucks today? And can you go on the GoFundMe page and donate $5 to the Bucks Club Foundation? Um, there was a time when I couldn't do that. I, I seriously didn't even have a bank account. I couldn't afford $5, whatever. I understand. Uh, but at, there was never a time when I couldn't have shared the message by pressing share or whatever. Um, and at the same time, um, everybody that donates, uh, I'm in the middle of building the Matthews and Key Memorial Studio up here in Utterson, um, which is going to be done soon. And, and everybody that donates is going to be on the Matthews and Key Memorial uh, Wall of Gratitude. So everybody that donates uh, on the GoFundMe page is going to be, um, you're essentially building the Buckler Foundation because these, these uh, um, contributions here uh, are, we're building it, you know, like, we won't rely on GoFundMe pages and stuff once we get, you know, established. Like I said, government grants and going after our zones. But to get to that, we really need people um, to support this cause. And, and if uh, I say it this way too, if you don't feel comfortable supporting the Buckstore Foundation, I, I'm. If you're listening to this, I challenge you to donate at least five dollars to some other great cause because there's so many other causes out there and, and areas that need our time, our attention, our money, our resources, all of it. Um, however, I would love it if you could uh, get behind us um, because uh, I'm not just saying it like it's, it's crazy how many people out there messaging me every day and are struggling and that just guys that played major junior or parents of players that played junior or pro or, or whatever. And um, I, there's just not much I can do. Like, there's, I do as much as I can and actually doing as much as we can. And, um, we're trying, but please, if you're listening to this, um, you know, I'll make sure that, uh, you get the link description. But, um, I, like I said, on my podcast, I ask with an extremely heavy heart. I hate asking for money. I don't ask for me. It doesn't, this is not benefiting me. It doesn't help me. This is like, seriously, it needs to happen. Uh, and one way or another, I'll make it happen. Uh, because uh, I'll die trying because there's just people they're, they're struggling and, and I know what it's like. Uh, and for some reason uh, I was able to, to get out of it myself. Um, but because I was able to, I feel that this was the reason that the Buckport foundation is the reason. Uh, and, uh, and I'm going to make it happen. Ashley's going to make it, we're going to make it happen. Um, and we also encourage everybody to get involved. Like you feel like you can, you can contribute. Uh, please, uh, you can email me, Brady at pucksport.com, or if you want to email the foundation directly, um, team, T E A M, at pucksport.com. Um, and you know, open to suggestions. If, if anybody, um, has done anything like this, uh, please, uh, we're all ears. Uh, we're gonna have another Zoom meeting coming up, so, um, by all means, please, uh, reach out. We, we want people to get involved and. Uh, we're extremely transparent and uh, and open. So, uh, and it's not just men. We we really want women to get involved too. Uh, it's my belief that we need uh, uh, some strong women involved in this too, because uh, I'm old enough to know to know better <laughs> by now. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you're you're getting a lot of support from from you know current, former hockey players and, and the like. What about the league? What about the NHL, the NHLPA? Um, I know you said there's a lot of, you know, there is help for, for NHL players, but a lot of guys don't make it to the NHL. This is support for, you know, not just 
NHL players. What has the been, reaction been from the league and the PA? Um, I haven't actually reached out to them at all. Uh, and the reason being is I just don't feel like we're ready. Um, and again, it's not like something that I'm going to be um, heartbroken over if they're not super um, enthused at the idea. That's okay with me. Um, obviously, I would love it. And it would just, I would jump up and down uh, if we could make it work and they would get involved. Um, but I, you know, I don't want to sit here and say they won't, but uh, if you see the way that they've handled things in the past with concussions and things like this, uh, and you see the way that the CHL even has handled different lawsuits through the concussions and and saw what they did with the CHLPA and all of it. So there is, um, we're going to have some some pushback, but that's okay uh, because this needs to happen. And uh, I'll gladly uh, stand and, and take a beating or, I'll stand up and, and, and go to jail for the cause. I'll do whatever I have to do, but I'll do it the right way. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm doing it for the right reason. And, uh, you know, I just feel that when, uh, when we do approach, uh, the different leagues, uh, and like I've talked to, you know, I've talked to, uh, the head scout of hockey Canada, the world junior team, Brad McEwen, who, was the, the general manager that Swift mm-hmm. Current my when I was like sixteen. Uh, he's been on my podcast as a friend of mine uh, and he's very supportive of what we're doing like himself personally. He hasn't said anything through Hockey Canada, but you know, he likes the idea of it, right? Um of it. but I just think that uh, going forward, if we do things the right way and, and, and present ourselves the right way, um, which which we will because it's not about at, at first I was really in this rush because I felt a lot of pressure because of all the people that were reaching out. Sure. Um, and I, and, I would, and I'd be lying if I said, I don't still feel pressure. I do sometimes it's overwhelming. Um, but, uh, I've also learned to just be like, okay, um, we're just going to deal with things one day at a time. Uh, and we'll do the best we can with right now, uh, and make sure that we just, you know, dot all our eyes, cross all our T's, do everything the right way. So that when it does happen, you can help the most people possible instead of having to just rush around and focus and try to scramble around right now. Um, because at first I was like, man, there's people that might die and, and that may be the case. So like this does need to happen. And that may sound, um, you know, like I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. It's, it's serious. And if people um, don't believe me, check out the Puck Sport Foundation website over the course. Give, me, give it about two weeks. Um, there's going to be a ton more on there. Uh, we're building a, a data base of all the fallen um, hockey players, uh, men and women, boys and girls, through suicide and addiction um, at all the different levels, right through minor hockey to pro. And uh, it's, uh, it's devastating. And actually, there's a video now already that we've made uh, that's on the website, it's on YouTube and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and you watch it, and all those players are all passed away. And, since that video has come out, there's several more that need to go in there. Sad. Uh, that video was put together months ago, and since then I've learned of so many more tragedies. And it's you know it's, it's terrible. There was twin brothers that died of an oxy overdose. Yeah. Twin, twin brother hockey players in the states. That's and awesome. It's just it's crazy, um, and so many others. And I just uh, I'm sick of seeing. Um, all of it uh, without I I need to do something. I'm not going to sit back and, and I can talk about it, but I'm not 
all I want. That's not going to do anything. Like I, I'm you know, like, we're getting out there. We're going to change the world. Um, we're going to change the hockey community. I'm, I'm sure of it. Uh, even if it's just one small step at a time, one, one shift at a time. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's how you win a hockey game. And that's how you're going to, um, get the the word out about this and and you know it's it's how you live right one day at a time uh when you're when you're um you know recovering and, and in sobriety and you can find out more information at puck support.com i i highly encourage people just go to the website watch some of the videos and uh, just just educate yourself a little bit on, on what they're doing okay let's wrap up Brady, with some of the guys that you played with in your career, uh, and I want to start with Kyle Turris in, in Burnaby. You're playing in the BCHL. What do you remember about this guy the first time you see him? Oh my God, his, his shot was unbelievable, but he looked like he was 12 years old, and <laughs> I just uh, I couldn't believe that this uh, this gangly, skinny kid was not getting absolutely hammered out there. Uh, he was so shifty, so creative, and uh, Always had a smile on his face. What a, what a nice kid he was. You go to Kelowna, and man, some of the guys on that team, and you, you're, you're second in scoring on that team, Colin Long, as you mentioned, 100 points. But first time uh, you saw Jamie Benn on the ice, what'd you think? Um, I thought that he shot the puck really hard. And, uh, you know, I was uh, very, uh, you know, I, I was pretty impressed. But I'll be honest, uh, I was actually more enthralled more and like just I didn't even couldn't even come to terms with how good Tyson Berry was to be honest skate like what 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 blew you away about uh, Tyson Berry right away the fact that he was 16 years old and he was quarterbacking the power play and and bringing the just running it like unbelievable I just and the passes he was making and the fakes he was making and the I and I had no idea who he was until I got traded there and I just I remember calling my dad and being like who is this kid what is going on right now? Like I, I still never saw I just what he was doing at 16 years old um, as a defenseman uh, offensively was, was truly amazing to watch. I feel very lucky to be able to, to, be able to say I got to watch that because uh, regardless of how his NHL career turns out, um, what a privilege that was. And then you had a, a bigger guy from Texas uh, who skated really well and, and you know you know from from bigger guys growing that it's sometimes hard to get that coordination but tyler myers I, you know i remember we were used to do the pipeline show with Guy flaming and we, we had this guy on i'm like wow this guy is uh this is a pretty good package here what was he like uh as a youngster um my he actually i sat next to him in the dressing room and we actually we were uh we were on the road together quite a bit too um my was a, a pretty quiet guy most of the time uh, but hilarious uh, when he would when he would uh, you know joke around and um, but wow what a what a good player he was and uh, I couldn't believe how coordinated he was for how big he was um, and he's only gotten more coordinated and uh, you know it was I've talked about it. there was a there was a very weird tension in that dressing room for the whole year because of uh, Luke Shen and Tyler Myers though so, so uh, who was better who was this who was that and. Uh, you know, you can, I'm not going to sit here and, and make my opinion on it. Uh, but, you know, they both had uh, pretty successful careers, I would say. Yeah, like, you mean tension from the outside about people asking who was better or tension in the dressing room? In the dressing room. Wow, that's interesting. But, yeah, I never, but it was like, sort of like unspoken. They were okay. like kosher with each other, but yeah. it was like, 
they were always asking like each other, like other people, like who's better? Like, do you think I'm better? Do you think I'm better? You know what I mean? Well, so you're just, young, right? And the draft, uh, the, yeah. the draft puts all kinds of pressure in your head for a young kid too, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. They're just kids, right? Yeah. No doubt. So, and and yeah, then Luke people, Shen people was, uh, that. Luke Shen was, was a really good junior player. His brother Braden played in Brandon as well. And uh, you guys had he quite was, the young team that was, was building. So Braden Shen, though, he's the other 16-year-old that I talk about. Him and Tyson Barry are the two best 16-year-olds that I ever saw, for sure. Wow. What about the funniest teammate you had? I mean, hockey players, you mentioned it. You said about Myers. He was really funny, but he was quiet. Hockey players are always understated, especially in, you know, rarely are guys mucking it up in front of the camera. But you get guys in the dressing room, behind the scenes, no media and that. That's when pranksters start coming out. Who is one of the, who are some of the funnier guys that you played with that love to pull pranks? Oh my God. Um, Who's the funniest guy that made me laugh? Probably Mike Wilson. I played with him in Swift Current and in Texas. Man, this guy was funny, but sometimes unintentionally funny. Um, but as far as uh, a prankster, um, man, uh, Jeremy Williams was, was mm. pretty good uh, when we were in Swift Current. I was young. He uh, even shaved off his own eyebrows right before playoffs one time when he was drunk and he couldn't even sweat was running in his eyes in playoffs and shit because it was so bad. It was so funny. But, um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say Jeremy Williams. All right, you played with Steven Stamkos, as we mentioned, in that Traverse City tournament. That might be one of the most skilled guys you ever played with. What about against? Who do you remember playing against going like, oh, my God, I can't believe this guy. Tyler Ennis. <laughs> oh, no kidding. That guy has video game skill. He scored six goals in a game uh, against the PA yeah. Raiders one time. Yeah, Tyler Ennis, he was ridiculous. He was, uh, that's why we said, he was my favorite player in the WHL when I was playing him, like, just to, like, you know, watch and, and be on the ice. Uh, and another guy that was a real treat to play against was uh, Jordan Everly. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And a good oh, guy, and, too. And, 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 and honestly, I, I will say, too, because I was 17, the lockout year, I was very uh, lucky. I was in the, in the craziest division that year with Getzlaff and Ladd and Phaneuf and all those guys. Colin and, Frazier, and, yeah. Uh, but Colin Frazier and Red Deer, yeah, and Nigel Dawes and Kootenai and Cam Barker and Chris Russell and all those guys, um, but yeah, uh, you know those those guys were were pretty good, like guys like Eric Fair and um, yeah, just, Ryan Craig, yeah, Ryan Craig. Yeah, so many, so many good. Funny story about Ryan Craig. Actually, I watched him growing up a lot because he was from Abbotsford, and uh, he was uh, my dad coached against him, so he was always like the best player, and uh, I kind of always wanted to be Ryan Craig when I was younger. Oh, cool. All right, let's uh, wrap up with this. Who's your favorite coach? That I ever had? Yeah. Um, I would have to say Dave Hunchak and Terry Wiskowski. Mm. Yeah, Terry was a guy that, uh, you know, really gave you another chance at one point too, didn't he? Absolutely. Uh, and he came on my podcast very early. Great guy. Great guy. And and Hunch too is, uh, is, is great and, and still a friend of mine today. 
Awesome. Brady, this has been uh, a really uh, enlightening and eye-opening and important conversation uh, for us to have. I, I commend you for being open. I think it's important, just like, you know, we're, we're, we've, we've started opening up more about mental health and addiction, and it leads to important conversations. So thank you for having this conversation with me. Check out PuckSupport.com and then Hockey to Heroin, the podcast. You can find that wherever podcasts are out there. Thank you so much for your honesty, your openness, and your time, Brady, and certainly best of luck. Let's stay in touch. Hey, listen quickly to you. I just want to say, if anyone listening, if you're struggling, uh, you know, reach out, ask for help. You know, you can find me on social media at Hockey to Heroin. I also have my own website, HockeyToHeroin.com. Um, you can email me, Brady at PuckSupport.com, like I said. Um, but if it's not me, please reach out to somebody else. There is help out there. It'll be the best decision you ever made. It won't be easy, but stick it out um, and just, you know, and, and just be honest because uh, you're not alone. Uh, I just recently got a mental health diagnosis and was diagnosed um, ADHD uh, for the first time at 33. So, um, you know what I mean? Uh, it's it's uh, an eye-opening, but it's also made uh, the world a difference now that I can kind of know and, and do some things to, to help that. So. I just encourage everybody, if you're struggling, please, please reach out. Don't sit there. Don't suffer in silence. It, it only makes things worse. Thanks so much for having me on. I'll do it anytime. All the things that grow up on the land, I could pick up with my huge hands. I could wave to someone in Yucatan if I held up my two huge hands. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. If I only had those two huge hands, maybe I could reach you then. Maybe I could touch you again if I had two huge hands. So much courage and uh, big thanks to uh, Brady Leavold for joining us. Check it out, PuckSupport.com. Uh, Hockey to Heroin is his podcast. And um, kudos to him for being open and honest and trying to help other people. Uh, and we'll have one-timers with him a little bit later on in the week, a couple of days after this episode comes out. Uh, and big thanks to Sweet Bejesus. They are the official music of Sports and More, the podcast. That was the huge song uh, from the boys, Christian Gutzis, Kevin Dabbs. You could find their debut album, Policeman's Creek, on Apple Music. This is a serious message. Peace and love. Peace and love. All right, the serious message I have is brought to you by Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. It's the poll question we are getting to. Check it out at uffsports.com. Get in the game. You can, you know, there's there are some uh, franchises for sale. There's some GM spots. A lot of these organizations have several different people involved. They're scouting. Uh, this is high stakes. It's big business, high stakes, the future of fantasy. If you think you are a fantasy stud and a fantasy superstar, put your money where your mouth is and get involved. UFFsports.com. The poll question is, who is the most impressive fantasy football player in week one? Josh Jacobs, Russell Wilson, Devontae Adams, or Calvin Ridley? Uh, there was some really impressive... I would vote for Josh Jacobs, but then again, I am uh, a Raiders fan. But 
he was awesome. Devontae Adams uh, in my Yahoo League had uh, over f- almost 42 points. Uh, Russell Wilson, pretty impressive. Four touchdowns, 322 yards, no interceptions, so no minuses. Uh, Calvin Ridley had over 33 points, 130 yards, two touchdowns, nine receptions if you're in a PPR league. Uh, but Devontae Adams was pretty awesome. 156 on 14 catches for two touchdowns. Uh, as mentioned, Jacobs was awesome. Uh, 46 yards receiving. He also had 93 on the ground in 25 carries and three touchdowns, six or four receptions. So he gets bonus points. So have your say at Duck Millard on Twitter. It's the poll question brought to you by Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. And finally, we get to perfect player. And that's where we take three players to combine the perfect player and make that Frankenstein project. And I'm going with current starting pitcher, Major League Baseball. So I'm going with Kershaw because he's the control freak. He's just got uh, everything going. He's got a few more uh, miles on the velocity meter this year, uh, striking out a ton. So he's my number one. Garrett Cole, because that guy is the strikeout machine uh, for Major League Baseball when he's healthy. And Joe Kelly, just because he's got the Joe Kelly face. He did it at the mural. He trashed the Astros right off the bat and kept doing it. Joe Kelly is my hero. So his gusto is what I want in a pitcher. So you got the control of Kershaw, you got the fireball of Garrett Cole, and you got the personality and the bravado of Joe Kelly, the hero we all need. The zero we don't need is the city of Edmonton, speaking of baseball. Um, I'm sure you heard there's this new team going into uh, the the stadium in the River Valley. Their closest team is nine and a half hours. I'll just tell you this. When you're recruiting and you tell a college, hey, send one of your best players here. His closest trip is nine and a half hours. I don't think a lot of colleges are going to be happy about that. There are 10 American teams in this league. So an all-Canadian league with teams in Alberta and Saskatchewan gets booted out in a in the most secretive way. Nobody knew any details about this other bid, but yet the, the evident prospects were open. The city treated them like dirt. The, in, in my opinion, they basically bullied them out of the, uh, the stadium. It was not a fair process, in my opinion. And listen, I have nothing against uh, more baseball, but make it a fair process. And I, and I just look at, like, you know, th- this team that's coming in is going to ha- is subsidizing all the team's travel. Ask the Edmonton football team, who used to own the Trappers, how well that worked out when you're crossing the border all the time. I just think that the city of Edmonton is going down the same path the city of Calgary did many years ago. They chose something over a, an established product. So that product that was established moved to Okotoks and now draws a ton, and they're tearing down the stadium in Calgary. Maybe that's what this city council actually wants to do. Sabotage themselves. I don't know. Seems like a strange move to kick a Canadian league out for a league with mostly American teams and a nine and a half hour closest trip. When you have, uh, now you have a team moving to Spruce Grove, giant metro area. The entire area is going to be involved with this team. You have natural rivalries in Okotoks, in in, uh, uh, Sylvan Lake. Whereas this new league, the closest rival is Kelowna. There's always been that Edmonton-Kelowna rivalry, so I guess they have nothing to worry about. Anyway, 
the the city of Edmonton, I think, bought a monorail. And, and I think the baseball will be, I don't know. I don't know. The, the league might be better as a whole because there's a lot more American teams, but I don't know how you're going to convince a lot of those colleges to send some of their best players here when they're spending that much time on the bus. I don't know. It just seems like they were blinded by the bling. Maybe Randy Gregg brought his Stanley Cup rings and they fell all over him. But I, I think the city of Edmonton has made a mistake. I think there should have been room to work with both, and I don't think they worked fairly with the previous tenant. That's just my opinion from what I've been told, from what I've watched, from what I've talked to people. That's how I feel. Anyway, that's it for me. Uh, Getting back to our great guest today, Brady Leavold of Puck Support Foundation. Check it out, www.pucksupport.com. Give them some help. Give them some love. You'll be helping somebody else. Big thanks to Brady uh, for such an open and honest interview. We'll have one-timers with him a little bit later on in the week. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe and leave me a review. Love to know what you think of the show. And check out podcastalley.ca for all your podcast needs. If you'd like to be involved in the show as an advertiser or anything else, hit me up through an email at sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. Leave you with a little I think from Sweet Bejesus. Thanks very much for joining me. Playtime is over. It's not all just for